Introducing the most unsuccessful, unexciting, unbelievably ordinary man in the world, Bradley Brinkman. When he throws a party, nobody comes. Fantastic turnout, yeah. When he goes to the beach, he gets sand in his face. And when he's at work, even his daydreams turn against him. Dead if he isn't the perfect choice for something so delicious that only the devil could have conceived it. You are about to be solicited for a supernatural experience. I can make you over. The kind of man women want most and men want most to be. What's all this gonna cost me? Oh, you're sold, silly boy. And so, overnight, Bradley Brinkman goes from ho-hum hopeless to a handsome, heroic, heart-throbbing... Come out, come out, wherever you are. Incredible Hunk. My name is Hunk Golden. Can he handle the women? Can he take all the pressure? Okay. <laughs> there are worse fates than being a drop-dead gorgeous guy with a pad at the beach, you know. Huh? Can he deal with success? No, I'm sorry. I'm sold out till, uh, till 1992. And can the girl who loves the Bradley beneath the beef help him to beat the devil? What about my old body? The trial offer expires the midnight after Labor Day. Why were you in hell? Where else are they going to hold this body in escrow? Don't let him sleep before midnight. Who are you going to be one minute from now? Give me a hint. Just a little hint. It's one heck of a dilemma. You have the right to call an exorcist. And it's one hell of a fantasy. I'll bring him back as a whoopee cushion. Honk. Whatever happened to the bad old days? Hello, and welcome back to another Patreon bonus episode of 80s All Over. My name is Scott Weinberg. My middle name's Edward, by the way, in case you were wondering. And I <laughs> am joined by my co-host, the illustrious Druard McQueenie. Yes, Druard being my middle yep. name, so there we go. Uh, and Drew, uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a bonus episode with our friends from Junk Food Cinema, and that got such a positive response that we thought we'd invite two more white male podcasters in to, um, to, to chat with us once again. So why don't you introduce them? Uh, well, uh, they could not be any more white or male. So we are more than covered on that today. We've got our good friends from Portland, uh, Eric D. Snyder and Jeff Bear. Gentlemen, how are you? Good. Yes. I'm good anyway. Very excited to be here. I can't speak for Jeff. <laughs> no, don't ever speak for me. Uh, gentlemen, why don't you introduce uh, and give a little breakdown of your podcast, which Drew neglected to mention, but why don't you in tell everybody out there what your podcast is, what it's all about. Well, yeah. They we, have a podcast? Yeah. Oh, God. It's called Movie BS with <laughs> Bayer and Snyder, and it's, it's actually the only movie podcast on the internet, uh, so probably your listeners have heard of it, since it's the only one. Uh, but we review uh, the new movies, the new releases. Like this week, uh, Deadpool 2 in Book Club, for example. Now, let me ask you this, Eric, uh, and or Jeff. What makes your show different than you, and, and the run-of-the-mill weekly review show? Oh, uh, well, I could answer that for Eric. Um, Eric doesn't know because he doesn't listen to podcasts. Is that right, Eric? That's right. Yeah. 
Um, and I actually don't listen to other film podcasts, so I'm not really sure either. Does that does that clear it up? I know, I know, I know. Here's how it's different. Seriously, is that Movie BS uh, is the only one that that uh, we're on. It's the only one that we that we record ah. ourselves. So that would that would probably distinguish. Yeah, it. Eric, give give Drew a little sampling of my favorite part of any given episode, which is when you get an iTunes review, uh, you will read the review. Now, extemporaneously make up half an iTunes review and do it in the proper vernacular, right. in the proper voice. I sure love listening to this movie podcast. It's the finest podcast I've ever heard. I'm writing this review for iTunes, so Eric will read it on the show in an old-timey radio voice. Like that? Yes, I love it. It never gets old. Uh, Actually, uh, Scott, uh, it does. It does get old, but it's on <laughs> rare occasion that it gets old. I'm, I'm, to- I'm told. I'm told it does get old. Yeah. And every once in a while, Jeff threatens to come up with his own signature voice, but never does. I'm too nervous. <laughs> nervous? You've been. How long? Your podcast has been going on for eight years now. Yes, eight years. And in another eight, I think I'll finally be ready. Okay. Uh, to, the, to those who might not know, uh, um, Eric and Jeff are great film critics out of Portland, neither, neither originally, uh, and uh, they are old friends of Drew's and myself, plus uh, all jokes aside, I think their podcast is, is really great. It's, it is in many ways just a conventional weekly podcast about the new releases, but they have a great banter. They're very funny. Uh, they rarely trash a movie, although they are critical. And, uh, you know, it's just nice to hear guys who are uh, f- who like each other on podcasts. That, that, that makes me happy. Drew and I can't stand each other. I don't even. Oh, my God. It's th- it's the worst. I, this is why they put states between us. I'm glad it seems like Jeff and I like each other on the show. That's good. <laughs> it's all in the editing. <laughs> Acting. All right. So what we do on our our podcast is uh, we talk about the films of the 1980s and we do it month by month. So what we'd like to do on this bonus episode is start in January and discuss every film that we've covered so far. (laughs) Great. Good. Great. I love it. Drew, take it away. All right. So uh, first up is a movie called Just Tell Me What I Want. (laughs) This came out January 11th. Alan King and Ali McGrath. Uh, but uh, why? What is it about movie nerds that have to do a podcast? I mean, we all have written. We all we're all writers, except Jeff. Um, but why do film critics like to have podcasts? Why? Why? Why are our opinions so important to us? That's a good question. Thanks. It is a good question. I mean, the easy answer is um, talking is easier than writing. That's true. Uh, like that. Like that's it. Also, in in our case, and I think this is probably the case with a lot of them. Uh, we did it because our friends were doing it. <laughs> like we, there was a someone started a, a Portland um, um, internet radio station, and there were have people we knew were doing shows like Bobby uh, and another friend of ours, Don Taylor, and we we're like, hey, we should do a show, and so we did. Wait, 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 who is this Bobby of whom you speak? Oh, uh, the pr- you're the producer of your show. Is he a silent producer? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. And you guys and you guys all live in the same town, which is uh, it makes it very easy for when we're making lists later. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all I know is when I when I come out to Portland, I should have no shortage of couches to sleep upon. That's true. Uh, Jeff has like two or three. <laughs> That's true. And and Eric has has a nice couch too. Don't forget, yeah. Eric, your couch is really comfortable. I do have a nice comfortable couch. There's a pond yeah. and a pool. Pond's probably good for you. Pond's yeah. probably good for you. Um <laughs> 
I, I'd like to like kind of flip back and forth between both of our podcast themes. So to start off, uh, I'm going to ask Jeff and Eric, and you know what, Drew too. What what's your favorite movie of the year so far? Of this current year? Uh, no, no. When I say this year, I meant 2003. <laughs> oh, 2003. Good, good choice. Oh, okay. uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Oh, good. <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you. Uh, well, you had uh, that ready, locked in. This this year so far, I think for me, I mean, Hereditary hasn't come out yet, but I I've barely stopped thinking about it since Sundance. Yeah, it's been um, like very good. I agree. And uh, the death the death of Stalin is the way up there. The death of Stalin would probably be my number one. Jeff, Drew, what do you guys have? I actually, for me, uh, Hereditary is up there too, even though it hasn't come out yet. I can't wait to see it again. And um, I was really taken in with A Quiet Place. I just absolutely mm. loved All it. All right, good call. I think Death of Stalin is amazing and uh, and breathtakingly ugly and uh, <laughs> and pretty astonishing that it exists at all. But for me, the uh, the movie of the year so far is Won't You Be My Neighbor? Oh, uh, the mm. Fred Rogers documentary, which I cannot wait to see. Oh, and I have it uh, direct from Bobby. His favorite movie of the year is Underworld 6 Bloodshot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, even if that's a real movie, but that's what he said. It's his favorite movie of the year, Underworld Six: yeah. Bloodshoot. Um, so, all right, if you were to do a, uh, if you were to take over our podcast for a week, uh, for one episode, guys, what would you? What '80s films would you want to focus on? N- not necessarily films that you love or hate, just something that you have an interesting anecdote, maybe, or or something that stands out in your memory because your mommy let you stay up late, you know, shit like that. Well, uh, one of my one of my favorite anecdotes about an '80s movie concerns the film Twilight Zone, the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in uh, I don't know what year, one of the early years of the '80s, uh, and and I did not see it in theaters. I didn't see it until later. But when it was in theaters, uh, or maybe shortly after that, what I remember is that my my dad my dad saw it with some friends of his, and he was telling me and my siblings about it, and so I would have been like like uh, eight like eight or nine. And he told us just about the opening scene uh, with uh, Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd and Do You Want to See Something Scary? And uh, the way he described it made me burst into tears in terror. (laughs) (laughs) I was terrified. It was traumatic and Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just hearing about it. Your father was so gifted with describing a film scene. (laughs) I'm like less impressed with the movie and more impressed with your dad. You know, I that uh, he is he is a gifted orator. Uh-huh. Uh, that might be overstating his uh, descriptive. Oh abilities. my God! Were you a sensitive? Uh, were you very sensitive? I was a sensitive lad. Yeah, uh, I, and, and, but it really, it seriously freaked me out just just hearing about it. Now, uh, when I did finally see the movie a few years later, I was I was able to take it, but it was it was this is very this is actually this reminds me of Eric uh, telling me very specifically exactly what happened in Serbian film. Uh, and I think I also burst into oh, yeah. tears um, yeah. when he was done. Oh, right. Well, I remember the time that Drew told me who died in The Force Awakens, and I cried. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a true story. Um, so Twilight, Twilight Zone has a special place in my heart because of that early incident. The, the, the end of the anecdote is, of course, I finally saw the film and... And and uh, that scene certainly was scary. I'm sure it seemed scarier because of the way I'd built it up in in my head. Um, like it, I'm, it had a stronger impact on me than it would have if I had just seen it cold. But I also was able to acknowledge that it okay it wasn't it wasn't that scary. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, 
over to you with an anecdote, perhaps. Why not? <laughs> I, I remember very specifically uh, walking out of the theater in the fall of 1985. And uh, we're walking to the car. It's my older sister by two years and my parents. And uh, one of them, one of my parents asked me what I thought. And I, I declared that was the greatest movie I have ever seen in my life. It is my new favorite. I know what it is. No, you don't. It's Daryl. <laughs> it's the journey, the journey of Natty Gann. Oh, it's a great movie. <laughs> great movie. And here's the thing: like I have, so I've been a five and a half year old now, and I have not seen this movie. I think I probably saw it one more time, some you know, a few years after the fact, or whatever the case may be. But it has been a huge amount of years that I have not seen this movie, and I'm waiting desperately to now watch it with my kid. Uh, and just trying to figure out when it'll be right and everything. Can't wait. Drew, do you remember that one well? Mary uh, Salinger? Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, I'm actually, I'm excited to get to it when we uh, talk about it again, because it's, it's part of that narrative of the sort of flailing Disney in the 80s, where they had no idea what they were mm -hmm. anymore. And um, that was an example of a movie where it felt like the, the old brand of Disney, but with a new 80s coat of paint and attitude. And it felt like the right, version like yeah this is a disney film it's definitely family appropriate but it's got a little edge it's got a little grit and it's definitely got a soul to it and i think it really helped that they got young john cusack and young meredith salinger both who just we were gotta try and get meredith salinger on the show she's a great 80s icon i love the movie and jeff i hope you find it uh available in widescreen because for the longest time you could only get natty gan in full full frame which is disgusting oh. Disney has a bad a bad habit of doing that in the old days with uh, home video. Yeah. But that's why you come to the 80s all over, guys, because we'll set you right, aspect ratio-wise. What? <laughs> don't we laugh don't do, at me. Don't patronize we don't do on, me. We don't do that on our show. No, we definitely don't. Don't, patron, don't patronize me, but you can patronize me. Oof. Oof. <laughs> God. No, no. No. Drew, Drew <laughs> can you tell I haven't slept in 14 hours? I, I can't. You haven't slept in 14 uh, hours, Drew, is that what you said? You've been awake for 14 whole hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, isn't I that mean, a lot? I mean, I, 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 so, like, if you get up at 9 a.m. and at 11 p.m., you're like, whew, I've been up for 14 hours. Yeah. That's like a normal person. <laughs> It is no, no, it isn't. You're saying no, you it are, is not. You're saying you're as tired as as a normal person is. You know what? You don't know anything about the sleep cycles of a normal human being. You tell me one person who just gets like sleeps at night only and never takes a nap. You're talking to one of them. Lo lots mm -hmm. of people right, sleep Bob. at night. Bobby, yeah. cut all this. All right, <laughs> um, gentlemen, yes. we have a little bit of format actually planned today. And I think you guys did a little homework for us. A little bit. Correct? Yeah, teeny tiny bit. All right. And the the marching orders in general were, think of something fun to talk about 80s-wise. <laughs> the, the more specific marching orders uh, were, uh, we were supposed to come up with some films that were very uh, uh, influential and, and formative for us uh, personally, as well as one that, that we agreed on, that we had in common. And, right? and and if the very description of the film caused you to burst into tears, that as well. Right. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, Twilight Zone is the only one that made me burst into tears just hearing about it, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we uh, One of the things that we've done in the past when we've had guests on is ask them to 
uh, and this was the whole reason we started the podcast. Bring 80s films with you that people don't talk about incessantly. Everybody knows that The Goonies was made in the 80s. It's fine. It's covered. We got it. Um, the stuff we're interested in is stuff that matters to you guys that you don't hear everybody talk about or that you like have hip-pocketed as, man, one of these days, I hope this movie has its mm. revival. That would be none other than Hunk. 1987's Hunk. No? <laughs> you wrote, wait, you actually wrote down Hunk? <laughs> I saw it in the theater, man. I See, now you got me on that. I remember clear as day the uh, the newspaper ad for that movie, uh, James Coco in a devil outfit, uh, but I did not see it in theaters. Jeff, what do you remember fondly about Hunk? I mean, for me, let's see. So I was born in 76, so I was about 11. Um, and I just specific, specifically remember, like, feeling like I was supposed to take notes. Like, this was going to be future adulthood in some sort of way, and I need to then navigate it. And these were, this was the key. This was the cheat sheet. That's how I felt hunk was. Um, this is how a cool person's supposed to act. Um, you know, this is what you're supposed to wear. This is how you get the girl. <laughs> this, was, this was my roadmap for the future. Why this, hunk and not, like, say anything? Same year. Should, no, should we no, maybe no, explain to our listeners who are unfamiliar with this movie uh, what it's about? Because I feel like oh. that will make it easier to... Lo- wait, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, but it'll, it'll make it easier to make fun of Jeff if we know what it's about. <laughs> Eric, give us a plot breakdown before, uh, and then we'll let Jeff finish. Well, there's a dweeb. There's a dweeb who uh, writes a, com- a computer program, uh, which what he actually means is a book but he calls it a computer program that uh, turns him into a, uh, a hunk, into a, a, a bronzed, feather-haired uh, he-bimbo <laughs> who sets all the ladies' hearts aflutter. And so then he is, he is this guy. That's, uh, yeah. And the movie is very, very interested in looking at this man and looking at him. Like, the first shot we see him when he be- first becomes the hunk, there's like a long, lingering shot of the guy in his underwear uh, on his, uh, draped across his bed. Eric, am I correct? I had you watch this with me because I hadn't seen it in decades, right? Uh, I, I had you had me watch it with you because I was using it for my column called Eric's Bad Movies, and you said, "Hey, I know that movie," <laughs> so we watched <laughs> now, it together. Now, now this doesn't hold up. I want I want people to know, eleven uh, year old me has a different opinion of this movie than than the current me. I don't think it. I like, but for an order for something to hold up, it had to have been good once. That is a good point. I, I found it fascinating. I did. Here's the thing. You re, you remind me, and this is, I love this guy, and I love the way he digests movies, but you remind me of Paul Shear. Who, me? Because Bear does. When he's talking about Hunk being influential, Paul Shear will tell stories on how did this get made, and they'll bring up a movie, and he'll say, oh, not only did I see this in the theater, but I saw this twice in a theater, and people are like, what? They just did Second Sight, and he mentioned that he saw it in the theater, and it sounded like everyone was going to walk off the show. They were so no, angry No at him. bullshit you will not find. At that era, I, you would never, never have found a bigger John Larroquette fan than me, and even I didn't go see that movie. <laughs> yeah, I... I my excuse is a lot of these I was either working at a theater hunk I it didn't play the theater I worked at but it played the theater that my girlfriend worked at and so we saw it simply because it was an excuse to go sit in a theater for an hour and a half but like I some of these movies man if you saw them theatrically on purpose I am <laughs> truly hats off impressed because these are uh, um, but Hunk, now uh, Jeff's first choice, uh, brings us to one of the tenets of 80s all over, which is you may remember something fondly and you may even know in your head that was probably not that good of a movie. But 
don't revisit it. If you have a mild, <laughs> fond memory of Hunk, do yourself a favor and leave it there. Uh, also, let me say, if you're going to go search for Hunk on the internet, please put Hunk Movie 1987 in the search. Otherwise, your Google is going to be a you nightmare. Be Trust specific. me. <laughs> yeah, I just tried to look up Hunk Movie, and that went very badly. <laughs> that went that. very badly. Eric, what do you got? <laughs> Uh, uh, among my uh, really formative movies uh, was one uh, called Bill Cosby himself. Oh shit! Uh, which I think, which I think you've covered in your show. We have. Um, and but by all means, we, this, let's go. Let's do it again. Yeah. yeah I, well, I feel like nobody has talked about Bill Cosby much lately, so it's it's good to. Well, bring Eric, him up. I know that you come from a comedy background. You uh, as a writer and a performer, you are so. When's the last time you saw Bill Cosby himself, and and do you think it will ever be able? You you'll ever be able to just watch it? That's that's a good question. I would I would uh, I probably have to. Uh, never mind. Oh, I censored myself. Uh, the reason this is so, was so formative was that uh, we we rented it on videotape when we first got a VCR in about 1984 or 85. This was one of the tapes that my family kept renting. Uh, was Bill Cosby himself, and so I saw it a lot. And, and yeah, I was just I was fascinated by well how funny it is, of course. But as I got older and began to appreciate comedy as a as an art form, I was amazed at how well he holds a crowd's attention and the way he just so authoritatively he'll sit down. He sits down, which stand up comedians aren't supposed to do. I mean, it's right there in the name. Uh, but he but he and the way the way he can command attention and make you hang on his every word and his delivery and timing just great, uh, just great stuff. And I I haven't seen it since I was a youth, and I. Imagine it would be difficult. Uh, it would be hard to separate my feelings about him as a as a person from the comedy. This is a this is the one um, where he goes to the dentist, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's the one theatrical concert he ever did, and it's still, I would say, gold standard. One of the gold standards for theatrical stand up. The way you shoot it, uh, it is beautifully shot, and is clearly ground zero for. Everything he did afterwards in the eighties with the Cosby Show I remember, and all the books. I remember when the Cosby Show started soon after that, and we noticed jokes from Bill Cosby himself in the early yes, episodes. That's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's a good call. Uh, the, the old line: "I took you in this world, I'll take you out." It's where I can yeah, take you out. Cycle yeah, that a couple that of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, throughout all that time, and then later, he became a vile rapist. So let's move on. Jeff, I have a question for you. Have you ever seen Explorers? Oh goodness, yes. Okay, what are your thoughts on Explorers? Explorers, I'm not familiar with this. I'm going to look at that. Oh, Joe really? Dante. Uh, Jeff, sell Eric. Sell Eric on Explorers. So Explorers is uh, Ethan Hawke, oh, River Phoenix, and uh, it's a Joe Dante's film. And it is this odd um, little science fiction movie where these kids uh, get a, don't they get a call from uh, some alien planet, right? And, uh, and they build a spaceship. They do. They build a spaceship. It works. And they go visit uh, outer space. And Now, now Jeff, yes. now tell Eric that you'll bring a pizza over and you'll watch it tonight. See what he oh, says. Oh, man. I, I got to go see this little thing called Solo tonight. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things from the 80s that should probably be left Whoa! alone. Whoa. <laughs> Bam. Oh, snap. <laughs> probably. I said I haven't seen it. I don't know. One quarter of us may have yeah. seen it already. So I just heard an interview with Ethan Hawke, um, and it was really interesting to have him briefly talk about this movie. It was his first. He was unknown. And 
uh, it didn't do well, and he carried that for years. Like he felt that pressure and he felt like he disappointed everybody oh, wow. uh, because the movie didn't do well enough by whatever standards he had set for himself. Yeah. And and whatever happened to Ethan Hawke? Has he worked <laughs> since? He was only 15 at the time. I mean, yeah, this, I'm reading about it now and, and apparently it was a flop and was never uh, properly finished. It was sort of rushed. Crazy Evidently. thing is, I th- yeah. I think it actually has more lingering power than a lot of the movies that did well in the decade. And I think that comes back to Joe Dante. He has this this just filmography full of almosts and near misses and movies that didn't quite connect commercially and they're all really good but they're they're odd and that is the thing that distinguishes him is he's not afraid to lean into the weird the last act of explorers is not what anybody else would have done with that movie and is not it doesn't end the way anybody else would end that film and I get how, for a lot of people, you sit through this thing where they're being called to space and they're supposed to go do it. And then you get there and the answer is what it is in this movie. And it's pure Joe Dante. Of course, that's the answer in his film. Let's play a little word association. We'll start with Eric and we'll go uh, uh, alternate. Ready? Eric, Rubik's Cube. Uh, what's, what's the question? <laughs> this word association. Rubik's Cube. Uh, 80s. <laughs> I, mean, I don't. I, I, <laughs> judges, judges, did he get it right? Do we have a? Yo, ding? remember a few minutes ago, I said he trained yeah. as a comedian. That was like <laughs> such bullshit. He's never. You can't even improv. With no, no. Eric, Eric went to a different I'm, school for improv where it's what, what, not yes and. Yes, yeah. It's just, <laughs> what? Wait, what? I, I wanted to do a little what with eighties iconography. All right, Drew, let's me and you do it. Ready? Okay. Alf. Eighties. Shit, I did it wrong again. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sorry, I derailed it. Um, Yo, though, that was funnier than anything else you could have said. Honestly, I don't know what I'm like setting you guys wait, up. Do, do me so I can say it. Right. Do me. Do All me. Right, ready? What, what are we supposed to say? How is this supposed to work? Uh, I, I just was trying to be like stream of consciousness 80s pop, like potpourri. Please answer, why is Gamora? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Jeff, ready? Yes. Family ties. I think the reason I actually went to uh, business school is because of Michael P. Keaton. Was it? Uh, I, I loved family ties so ridiculously much, and I was just like, yeah, I'll be like him. Alex P. Keaton. Alex, Michael P. Keaton. That's hilarious. Michael J. Fox. There we Let's go. all yeah. talk about for a few minutes, Drew. Lead us in with the secret of my success. Underrated or justly forgotten? Just Justly forgotten. It's, uh, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, justly forgotten. Oh, man. Jeff, interjection. Uh, I obsessed over it in the eighties. I loved it to death. It was fantastic, and I mean, all of the non-business talk in that movie is amazing because it's all about business and getting ahead and like playing the angles. But whenever he did it in the film, uh, it was just like music and then like people nodding, and you never heard any dialogue of any sort as far as how he was doing the inner workings within the company. All I remember about that that. movie is Helen Slater. That's literally it. I am good at business. (laughs) (laughs) Let's business now. What is, I'm going to bet this was during the 80s. Uh, What was the first time you were watching a movie with your parents and were embarrassed by either nudity or carnality? Oh. 
with my parents. See, that's the thing. I was the type that uh, I was. I had to leave the room at any hint of it. Um, my mom. But see, isn't that even? Doesn't that even feel a little bit more embarrassing? Like I, I would be. I was the stare straight ahead kid. So it's not not um, not movie related, but my mom would watch the soap opera all all my children. Mm-hmm. And I I was in the room like occasionally during the summer, and she would just like shoo me away for a while, and then I come back. <laughs> Um, but I do uh, only because I was thinking of uh, Michael J. Fox. Um, <laughs> uh, what the heck? I'll say it. Uh, Teen Wolf was the first time that I was aware that I had an erection in public. <laughs> oh! During that movie where she uh, is pretty much like on top of him um, in the dressing room before they go on stage to, to perform. Uh, I was just like, huh, this is really weird. I'm in a dark theater and I definitely uh, have an erection. So there we go. <laughs> now, wait, Eric, has he ever divulged this anecdote on your show? Uh, I don't know if he said it on the show. That sounds familiar. I think he, I think he may have told me that I do. Before. I talk yes, to Eric have, a lot about my erections. So, I have, well, And I have said, <laughs> we, actually, we actually have a separate, we actually have a separate Slack channel just for that. Uh <laughs> I know a couple of times I have suggested that we watch Teen Wolf because I haven't seen it since I was a teen and uh, Jeff has declined. Is that why you don't want to watch it? <laughs> no, I'll just I'll just shoo you out of the room for a little while. That'll be all. I learned it. Eric, do you have uh, do, do you have a story about being uh, awkward, feeling awkward around sexy movie moments? Um, that's tough. Uh, we you know, I grew up in a in a not super strict household, but we, we didn't watch R-rated movies. Um, uh-huh. And that was that was pretty well enforced uh, until I got to be an age where I could go watch them on my own. Uh, so I, we didn't, that didn't come up very often where, where something like that appeared on the family TV. All right. Well, what, what I'd like to have you guys back on the show in a year or two. What, what you should do, watch the uh, 50 sh- uh, Shades, watch that trilogy with your parents and report back. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I was uh, I was working at a theater in whatever year Big Easy came out, and I was 87? working eighty seven. So it, middle of the week, and it was the last show of the movie. And I walked in to check the film, and I I got to where uh, I would walk into movies to watch my favorite scenes. Like I would pretty much work out the timing, and so I would see sequences from films over and over. I'm not gonna lie, Big Easy, one of my favorite scenes involved Ellen Barkin, and was just. Hot, so I decided to walk in and watch the Ellen Barkin scene, and I walked in and the theater looked empty. So I'm standing in the back and I'm watching the scene, and it's gone on for about two and a half minutes, and suddenly a dude pops up from between two of the rows, and his girlfriend pops up from between two of the rows, and when they saw me and I saw them, everybody had a moment of, okay, so now what? And <laughs> what was? And I, I had to leave the theater and let them have the theater because that was that. That's you do not want to be the usher that has to walk in and deal with that. So. Oh, I do. I do. No, I, no, no, you don't. You really I want to be the usher with a broom. Be like, were they were they fornicating? Is that what you're saying? Uh, something was happening. Certainly, it had gone well beyond making out in their chair. Ugh, dude! Imagine pulling popcorn out of your crack when you get home. That's disgusting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Florida. Oh, right. You were born in Vernon, Florida. That's right. Not born. Not born. <laughs> you take that back. I swear to God, I'll come through this microphone. Indianapolis. I not- <laughs> uh, now, I know this is not a topic that we like to linger on too much, but but I, I do I do think it's interesting. And without being too nasty, can we briefly get into the issue or the topic of maybe 
overappreciated or over uh, 80s movies that get like maybe 5% too much attention? Uh, you're trying. You're trying to avoid saying the word overrated. Yes. Is that what you're trying to do? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know. I've, I feel. I feel like this has become a common, popular opinion in the last few years. But the Goonies is terrible. Okay. It. The Goonies yeah. is unwatchable noise. Yeah. 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 It is. I agree. On a, on a one to five scale, Drew, one to five of Goonies. Oh boy, people might stop listening to the podcast if we do a spoiler. Yeah. Shall I, I come back to you? Uh, is that what you I, need? I'm not a fan. But I feel that. I feel like that is becoming a, a fairly common opinion nowadays. Yeah. Well, I ran it. Yeah, but here's the thing: if our generation, if our generation gives up on the Goonies, it's dead because kids younger than us are never going to. That's, <laughs> that's, I mean, no, that's not it true. It still actually works as a kids movie. It's just really obvious how much of yeah. a kids movie it is now. That I mean that that was my takeaway the last time I watched it. Yeah. I I I, um, I had that. I think it's weird how that's become like a coming of age moment when you realize, like, oh, I don't know if I like the Goonies that much anymore. As a kid, I would not have put it up to uh, up to like Raider standards, but I would have called it like a four star adventure movie. As an adult, I think it's a big this fat is, loud this mess. This is that age. Th- this is the the difference in our ages is just enough because at fifteen when it came out. I thought it was a bunch of fucking irritating babies <laughs> making noise. And it bugged the piss out of me then. And I remember walking into the theater like, God damn it, if I was in a room with any of them for more than five minutes, uh, One-Eyed Willie would have a dead body next to him on that boat. I, I hated them. <laughs> so I never had the fondness for it. Oh, man. I read the novelization. Well, I had the album. I ran into it when I started it in it cool and ran into the people that were cult fanatics for it and that was the moment of wait a minute what people like the goonies like i had the moment of are you fucking serious and then i felt like the entire internet was on crazy pills for a while and gradually people have started to come back to the side of oh no it's really noisy and as as they've got as they've gone back and rewatched it yeah yeah but i mean it's got that awesome score it's got great Davi and paneliano paneliano and davi and 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 ramsey they're all three of them are great uh, in in small moments, the kids are periodically funny. Usually in individual moments, it's just it's just not it just doesn't hold together as like an interesting three act structure. You could once they go underground, you could mix all those scenes up, and the order. Wouldn't <laughs> but here's matter. why it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What people love about the Goonies has zero to do with the film, and it has everything to do with the memory of your buddies you would go have adventures with when you were a kid and that you hung out with, and the Goonies makes you think about that and feel that, and for kids who were kids in the 80s when it came out, it's like virtual reality. They put it on, and it makes them feel that again, and so that's why it's unassailable, and when you talk to people about it, it's not worth the argument because you're not... I get it, and I don't even... I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that 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 emotional attachment is powerful. So, yeah, that's I think you guys. uh, What do you guys think of Willow? Have you seen that recently? Because that's another one I think that I I did. I loved you when I was younger and I I wish I hadn't revisited it. I have not seen that since since then. Yeah, I I would say the same. I remember thinking fondly of it. um, But yeah, I have not seen it. since. Here's my memory of Willow uh, is uh, with some friends lined up to see. I want to say it was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Were those movies out at the same time? Uh, no. Willow came out the year before, so it would have been... Then we were in line for the movie at which we saw the trailer for Roger Rabbit. There you go. Uh, 
and Willow was also playing, and the other line, they had you know signs set up there of which movie you're waiting for, and uh, I m- rearranged the letters on the Willow sign and turned the W's upside down and made it say Ill Mom. <laughs> just because just I could. And that was the first time you were ever incarcerated? Uh, yeah, that was it. And I, I was, and I was hooked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, do you have a pick for uh, either slightly overrated or like the Goonies? I, I don't really get the cult. I don't get the fandom. I, <laughs> um, Fletch. Okay, oh, mm, interesting. interesting. Drew, take this one. <clears throat> now, is it is it a Chevy thing? Is it a specific Fletch thing? What is it about that movie? It is because we love Michael. Ritter. So Fletch to me has some nice amusing moments Fletch is not hilarious it is not an amazing comedy and I feel like this is this is my hang up Eric knows this way too well about me my hang up with a lot of um, things that are technically comedies like Fletch is a comedy first that is what it is listed as it doesn't do comedy better than the other things that it does and so the comedy gets inflated based on rewatching uh, and things to that extent, in my opinion. Interesting, because that's not how I think of Fletch. And I and this is a case where it's something external to the film that yes, you're reacting to, totally. which is the categorization. Because the book and the book series, and I, I own all of them, I love all of them, I think McDonald is a fucking terrific novelist. And the first, the first book is almost word for word. Like, they did a really strong adaptation. Um, and he won an Edgar that year for Best Mystery Novel. They're mysteries first, and they're very good, well-constructed mysteries. I think the mystery in Fletch is terrific, and I think the way it finally pays off and why Alan came to him and asked him to be the guy, and I, I think all that's great. I just think Fletch, in the Fletch movie. It's, a, it's, a, it's a detective. It's a mystery movie where they wedged a funny guy in and had him be funny in certain scenes, but you, ta- you, take, out, you take out his funny lines, and it, yeah, it's exactly the same, and it's, it's a, a pretty good mystery. And in the book, it's, it's the same thing. It's very much a mystery novel with a wise-ass and so it's I thought it's a case of, wow, they finally found something where Chevy fits into it the way Good Morning Vietnam was that movie where they finally went, oh, fuck, that's how you use Robin Williams. Got it. Oh, that's it. And I think Fletch felt to me like Chevy was a guy who Hollywood never quite figured out consistently. And so those few moments they use him right, you're like, there it is, guys. That's all you have to do. Right. But it's only a few minutes in the film. Right, and then you turn around and look at Fletch Lives, where they let Chevy take the movie over, and it's clear that you can't let Chevy do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a movie I am... Is that the 80s, right? Or is that a 90? Yeah. I'm yeah, looking forward to revisiting that, because I remember kind of halfway liking it, but f- feeling typically, yeah, the sequel's half as good, a couple good... Li- I have a feeling that when I see Fletch Lives, I'm going to kick my old self's ass and be like, why did you like this? <laughs> Drew... Why don't you pull one out? We went through this when the sequel was getting ready to come out. And thankfully, I think it's died back off to about where the appropriate level is. But I was fascinated watching everybody convince themselves for about a year and a half that Tron was better than they remembered. Oh, my God. Yeah. And leading up to that sequel, everybody was like, no, Tron was a classic. Come on. Tron is boring. <laughs> it's It's got a lot of aesthetically <laughs> lovely things about it. And it's a sleeping. Yeah, game. it's shocking that it's an hour and a half long. Boring. Uh, it's and it's it's a great movie. For nostalgia, it's a great movie where you love things about it. I love the game. I love the stand-up game at the arcade, and I remember playing that thing for two and a half years after the movie came out and never once 
caring that I didn't like the movie that much. I think it's got great ideas, and I I get the cult, but I also think it's perfect as a cult because that movie does not. Tron stand up the Tron light works of day. for me like as if I played an old album and go, yeah, it's still fun to listen to. It's it's not as deep as I thought it was back in the day, but it's still kind of fun to listen to. That's you know, it's it's empty, empty calories, and I loathe. Tron Legacy. I can't stand that freaking. I think it's atrocious, except for the score, of course. Now, if I had to pick, nobody asked, but if I had to pick a an 80s film that maybe I think uh, nostalgia has maybe put it up on a pedestal where it doesn't deserve quite that lofty of a perch, controversial, Die Hard. Just kidding. Oh, my God. I was about to quit this podcast. I literally had my hands under the edge of the table. I was going to uh, flip the table. We just lost three hundred patrons. I was just kidding. I I could have I could have agreed with you on one aspect. Yeah. The stunt double is one of the worst stunt doubles of all time. Uh, which one, John McClane's? Yeah. Okay. It is. It is. It is ridiculously obvious. Look at the hair. Look at everything. And it is. Uh, it, it once you notice it, it is kind of like Tom Cruise's middle tooth. I How dare you? I love the movie too. I love the movie. Don't no, no you said it. Not no, no. You said it. You're trying me. to turn this around on me, Avenatti. Don't even. No, no, no. Uh, what is an '80s film that you think uh, people don't know of or or should know more of? Like, uh, what is an '80s film that you uh, would champion? Like Journey of Natty Gant, but not that. Vision Quest. Go, Matthew Modine and Linda Fiorentino. Why? Uh, it's sexy as all heck, especially when you're a little bit younger and you're watching it. Um, it's an amazing sports movie that has kind of gotten forgotten, um, because it seems like we only want to talk about, you know, five sports movies over and over and over again when we talk about the genre. Uh, it's a wrestling story. Spokane, Washington is where it's uh, set and it's got an amazing Madonna song in it. Why don't you tell her what's, what, what's the Madonna song? I know what it is. Crazy for you. Sing it. No thanks. <laughs> Eric, take this away. Crazy. That's the wrong Crazy for feeling so horny. <laughs> pretty sure pretty sure it is. You'll have to watch the movie again to find out. I think that might be it. Uh Eric, how about you? Well, I don't know how I don't know how uh under underappreciated it is uh, underappreciated it is, but UHF had a big impact on me. Uh but that's 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 a cult classic, you know, nineteen eighty nine. Um, Weird Al Yankovic's movie. Of course, I was. A... I know you're a big fan of that Victoria Jackson. <laughs> sure, sure. Who is it? Um, yeah, you know, I was a big Weird Al fan. Saw that one in the theater. I did back in the summer of '89. Um, that was that's one that should have more attention, probably. Um, and uh, uh, Manhunter, Michael Mann's the uh, yeah Michael Mann's version of of uh, nice. Red Dragon, Hannibal Lecter. Nice. Sort of sort of got replaced by. By the other animal lectors, um, but it's it's a good one. I think it's probably the the second best lector movie. Drew, would you agree? I would. I think, uh, yeah, I think it's terrific. And that that played to empty theaters the entire time we had it. I and I watched almost every screening we did of it. I just stood in there. I Bri- that Brian Cox is great. Brian Cox is great in general. I've I've said this on the show. I wish more movies had Cox in them. <laughs> yes, Brian Cox should be in more movies. Brian Cox, Laverne Cox, Courtney Cox. Sure, all the coxes you want. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> no. going to save this for a later episode, but if you've never heard of a little scene, but uh, well-known among horror geeks, a horror film called Lady in White from 1988, 
dig that one up and we will oh my gosh yeah we will get to that one extensively several episodes from now uh drew would you like to throw one in how old were you when you saw it jeff uh it was right around that so i guess 12 13 yeah Nice. That's a like, great one to see at that age. I remember one time my, my dad brought home the VHS, Lady in White, and he read the back of the box for me, and I <laughs> cried. <laughs> I, I actually remember uh, occasionally I would uh, fake the old illness to stay home uh, and watch stuff, and I remember always trying to gear up and uh, <laughs> like be willing to watch Lady in White, because I think we had recorded from HBO at some point or something, so it was, it was in the house, and it would just stare at me, and I would be like, can I, can I do it? Do I have the guts to do it this time? Uh, and yeah, that one, oh man, chills. You ready to feel even more masculine and, and brave? Sure. It's, it's, it's PG-13. Ooh. Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm. grown-up movie. I've never, I've never seen Lady in White. Oh, it's quite good. Uh, Drew... Yeah, you got one, right? You got I one do. on deck. I do, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna see your Matthew Modine movie, and I'll raise you another one. I am a huge fan of an advocate for Birdie. Uh, oh, and, I thought you were gonna uh, say Gross Anatomy. <laughs> no, 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 no. A, an Alan Parker film with uh, Nick Cage and uh, Matthew Modine, and it's shot where? Uh, I don't actually know where. Where was it shot? Uh, context clues. Oh, uh, Pittsburgh, in Philadelphia. <laughs> the other one. <laughs> No, I didn't forget. I'm just fucking with you. I know. Um, (laughs) um, No, I I love Birdie, and I one of the things I love about it is it's we've talked about how I think Alan Parker's underrated as a musical director, and I think he there are several of his films that uh, where he really leans into that. The other Alan Parker is the guy who makes these very stripped down little character pieces, whether it's Shoot the Moon or in this case Birdie, and he. It's one of those movies that you can't really describe why it's great, but it's wonderful character work from both those actors at an age where they were still kind of young and hungry and proving what they were. And Nick Cage is great. Matthew Modine's great. It's also one of the greatest endings of the 80s. And I mean, down to the very last shot. For me to like a drama was rare because I had no attention span for anything other than genre. So uh, even at like 16, 17, I like this movie. All I remember very little about it. I remember a lot of the South Philly locations, and i very much looking forward to revisiting Birdie. And if you guys haven't seen it, you should, because it's great. I know I have seen it, but I'm ready for a rewatch again, because I don't, I don't nice. remember the ending, which is always amazing when you can forget the ending of a movie, so then you can enjoy the whole thing all over again. Yeah, I never saw it. By the way, Scott, I uh, I tweeted while we were uh, recording, uh, based on our conversation, shocked to learn today that Scott Weinberg hates Die Hard. Uh, it is lighting f- fires on the internet right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't I don't need that kind of misery. Um, goddamn, <laughs> that's what you get for having an opinion. It's a joke. Who would ever badmouth Die you Hard? It's thought like of that spitting at a baby. <laughs> um, guys, do you? remember ever seeing a film at a drive-in when you were children yes i think my only what was it my only childhood drive-in experience i believe was seeing et with my family what's now can you just can you describe the film what was it about uh it was about a there was a an ugly little guy uh who hid in a boy's uh room and ate candy it's as best as i can recall (laughs) uh jeff drive-in 
Yes, uh, it was my first viewing of Gremlins. Mm. We were camping. We had a, um, and my mom didn't go, but I want to say my sister and my dad and I did. Uh, and I very much remember specifically uh, my mom saying, "Okay, but don't don't take him to Gremlins. I don't think he's ready for it." Um, and I had nightmares like no other on that camping trip. Mm. Yeah. That's a great story. What's the best police academy? Uh, woof, the best police academy. It has to be the first one by far. I, I was at um, my friend Jamie's house, and uh, I was in the living room, and they were playing it, and the mom did not care at all when boobs appeared on the TV. There was like no like no shooing of, of me out of the room or anything, and I was just like floored that another house could work this way. <laughs> I, it was just my Eric, a question, and then I'll follow it up with a, a plug. What's the best Friday the Thirteenth yes. movie? Who? Uh, I wish you'd ask me the Police Academy question. Tough shit. Um, Go on a different podcast. Uh, the Friday the Thirteenth are kind of all generally bad. Um, like the least bad is I don't know the, which one was Crispin Glover in. Four. Maybe that one. All right. Is that a reasonable answer? Well, the plug I was going to give you was that you did this awesome article many years ago doing Friday the 13th in like statistics or something. And you just blew the whole fucking thing. You blew it all. Just listed, <laughs> listed all the deaths and how many, yeah, uh, the statistics. Yeah. Drew, what is the worst Pink Panther movie starring <laughs> Ted Wasp? Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Don't even get me started. I just watched that thing again. It is a fresh wound. Oh my God! Ow, ow! And you know what? I was I was mad at Trail of the Pink Panther when I watched it again. Trail of the Pink Panther. I will fucking bathe in that movie before no, I ever sit. No, through oh, Curse we're gonna again. fight then because Curse is better than Trail. Oh uh, my God! You're insane. Yo, no, it is. You're insane. Oh my goodness, Jeffrey. Will you uh, will you follow any of the guidelines and tenets that Film Nerd 2.0 has inspired in you to raise your children as cinephiles, a la Drew McGuinney? Um, I would say yes, most definitely. I I um, oh, well, also I mean, plug his Star Wars book in the form of an answer. <laughs> I did. I showed um, Dylan four, five, one, two, three, six. Woohoo! That is the way that he absorbed it. That's that how is... you sh- you showed him the Friday the Thirteenth movies in that order. Yeah, dude, they're so much <laughs> better Eric. that way. Eric, what... why won't he go camping with me? <laughs> I, I just think Eric deserves a little credit for a quick callback. You know, that was <laughs> thank you, thank you. We should definitely, um, yes, we should stop the record from playing and point out that Eric did a good job. Uh, um, but yeah, no. So it is. There is a lot to. Um, I, in all sincerity, there's a lot to learn with Drew and and when he chooses to show the art and how it's received and everything else like that. And I, uh, I'm a bit uh, of a, a weirdo as well. I've I've documented um, like I have a spreadsheet of every movie that Dylan has seen, uh, where he's seen it, who he saw it with, and maybe a thought or two. Of oh, the, the film. weird thing is, um, Dylan is 24, yeah. so I don't know why. <laughs> it's just really disconcerting that you're like, hey, what are you watching in there? They're like, Dad, stop, we're watching porn. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, though, Jeff. Do you ever worry that you're that like you're, you're going to put on a movie like, say, um, Gremlins, and your wife comes home, you're, you're a stay-at-home dad, your wife is a doctor, so she comes in and she says... I don't want the boys watching Gremlins. And you said, 
But Drew McWeeny said it was okay. What happens next? <laughs> oh, she's she's met me. Uh, she would overrule that shit immediately. She's met me face to face. No, um, so uh, the only PG... He, okay, again, Dylan's five and a half. The only PG-13 movies he's seen right now are episode three and episode seven. And he just watched episode seven. And he's excited to watch episode eight. And I'm probably going to wait six months for him to uh, be able to do it. Um, Eric, you want to do it again? Uh, no, I feel like once was enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, it, it's just a matter of I am the firm believer uh, of slow and steady with this sort of thing. Uh, I want to kind of feel like I run out of PG movies uh, that I am excited to share with him um, before I get into it. And things like Gremlins. Here's the weird thing. Um, I mean, Gremlins is only PG. I know it was only PG. Uh, Dylan but does doesn't it not... seem odd to like guide what your children are going to do on a sliding scale of what a group of pe- eight people decided 30 years ago? Well, that's why it's not oh, about no. the rating. He's just waiting for maturity. And I, I get that because ratings, yeah, ratings are inconsequential. You know better than the MPA does. And there's G-rated shit. Like 2001 is not something you show to a child child and it's G, but you know. And, and Dylan is definitely the type where... Uh, if he does um, get nervous during the movie, uh, it's rare. Like if he does get scared, it's rare and it doesn't stick with him. Um, like for example, it did with me. Like I, I can remember very specific, um, you know, nightmare on Elm street dreams that I had uh, and, and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's going to be a guide with me in it. And then, you know, Max will be playing catch up. He's pretty much just watching Winnie the Pooh right now and having a treat with it. So that's amazing. If your boy, uh, your older boy has a nightmare from a movie that you watched with him, is your wife going to kill you? No, she wouldn't kill Would she beat, would she beat uh, you? Just a maiming. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, like so far, so far she's, uh, she's trusted me with this. Um, because she sees that I really care about it and think about it a lot, so she's trusting. Jeff, tell them tell them what movie you're not even allowed to mention yeah. in front of your wife. Not even the title can he utter in his wife's presence. Okay, an '80s film he's not allowed to mention in front of his wife. Drew, let's confer quietly. She is terrified at the mere mention. Terrified, terrified of it. Aliens. No, Chuck. Um, not aliens. Chucky. 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 Yeah. Killer clowns from outer space. Final answer. Uh, the oh. answer is The Shining. Ooh. Uh, I am not. Uh, so we watched it early in our relationship. Uh, I looked over at her and she had a fear tear uh, trickling down her cheek. Um, I was not allowed. I, I like during the movie, I paused and I was like, oh, I'm going to run to the bathroom. Uh, she had to come with me. Um, uh, I, I, you know, thought I could... she couldn't be left in the room alone with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have gone well. Um, so, how did Ready Player One go over? <laughs> uh, that is it. That is, she doesn't uh, see enough movies to even consider that. Like, she doesn't know that movie exists. All right, let us uh, wrap up with if you could send. One message to the average 80s all over listener without it being a plug for the fantastic movie BS now available on every podcast network in the world. Um, what would you say to the 80s all over listener as a sign off? I would seriously say, um, like, really try hard and it's difficult sometimes, but just keep focusing on the joy of these films uh, and don't tear them apart so much. Like in, in like the vicious way, I was just thinking about it. Like when we mentioned gremlins, uh, 
like the idea of that movie coming out now and the rules and how annoyed social media would be with those rules. Uh, with which movie? Uh, Gremlins. The Gremlins. Yeah. Oh, Gremlins. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, just sure. like after midnight and, you know, on and on and on and things like that, where it's just like, just take a step back. It, it's a movie. Were you entertained? Good. Uh, I would, I would uh, send the opposite message. I think we should be <laughs> meaner and pickier about movies. <laughs> Especially if your friend likes them. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I would tell the 80s all over listeners that Drew and Scott are, are much handsomer than they sound. Aww. In real life. Yeah. No, you are. No, they, they sound like trolls. They sound like garbage monsters, but they're actually fine, fine people. You should hear Drew's impersonation of me. It's not <laughs> flattering. Let's hear it, Drew. Yeah, go for it. Listen, um... <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't sound like that. No, you don't. My voice is not... No, you don't. That's, that's why you it's don't. funny, Scott. Yeah, that's why I, it's funny. I can't, I can't even begin. We're, we're only laughing because it doesn't <laughs> like, sound like you. That's the only reason we're laughing right now, Scott. <laughs> An exaggeration, an exaggeration. My goal is to, well, I don't know if you guys know this, but my goal is to one day impersonate Drew impersonating Lou Reed in that one bit that he did from, <laughs> from like episode five or whatever. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you both very much. I know it's been mostly silly, but uh, these uh, these guys are hardcore, passionate, smart movie nerds. I have spent endless hours annoying and discussing movies with them. Uh, and uh, they are great friends of ours, and I want to thank them for being on the show. Thank you, Eric and Jeff. They are my festival it. wives. They are my festival yes, wives. We are. Uh, yeah. 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 We're, we're allowed <laughs> to each have three festival wives. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for taking. On. I know you're about to go record your own show. So uh, thank. Drunk. Oh, that's so handy. So drunk, all of you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thank you to all our patrons. We hope that this episode was in- entertaining to you. We will be back in two weeks with another bonus episode. On behalf of 80s All Over, I am not Drew McQueenie. Uh, and I am. <laughs> <laughs>